we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. All right, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Pathway Church. If you are joining us online, uh, so good to be with you, whether you're in this space or in the sanctuary or online, wherever in the world you are, it is great to be together as part of this body we call Pathway Church and, uh, and celebrating together and worshiping today. Uh, if, you, if we haven't met, my name is Jeff Gale. I'm one of the, the pastors on staff, and today we're continuing our, our series on how do I. And we're talking about building people up today. Uh, if you saw from the video, you, you notice that, that there's a theme throughout Scripture that, uh, that is taught from the very beginning. And uh, we're going to be talking about the importance of our words and taming our, our tongue, if that's possible. Because number one in your notes, uh, here, here we go, words have impact. And you saw from this video that people from both Old and New Testament times understood that this was a very important teaching. And in this video, we were only able to put some of the scriptures that relate to this teaching uh, in that, because otherwise it would have just taken way too long. But you can open your Bibles to Genesis 1, first chapter, and look at creation and see the power of words, because how did God create Every paragraph through there that says the next thing that God created, it begins, and then God said, let there be. And then God said, let there be light, sky, land, plants, stars, moon, animals, human beings, everything that came into being in Genesis was because God said, let there be. And it's not long after creation that we have these new humans, these baby humans called Adam and Eve, and they're living in paradise. Everything is perfect in their world as God created it to be. And what happens the serpent comes along, and he whispers words into Eve's ear. Says, hey, 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 go eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Eve says, but God said, don't do that. The serpent said, ah, it won't hurt you. Go ahead, go ahead. And so Eve takes these words and she takes them to Adam. Let's eat this fruit. It'll be fine. It won't hurt us. And so these words led to the action that we call the fall. And the rest is history. You see, words can create and words can destroy. And from the very beginning, we're taught this. But... As we saw through scriptures, here we are thousands of years later, and our words are still getting us 
in trouble. And we humans have to be taught this again and again and again and again because we're slow learners. This lesson of watch what you say and how you say it continues even after all these years. So we're talking about really taming our tongues, aren't we? And, and if it's even possible, given the importance and impact of our words, it's a practice that we Christians have to work at again and again. Because God calls us to this work of building others up. And why do we build others up? We build others up so that they might know the love and the grace of Jesus through us. And it, because it's hard to feel loved if you're being put down, if you're being ridiculed, if you're being criticized. So we build others up so that they might know the love of God through us. And the greatest tool that we have to build others up, that we all carry, is our tongue. And if we could just learn to tame our tongue, we think, we might just be able to change the world. We could look at, at, at recent history and, and, and see how the world has been changed by, by words that were carefully thought out and put together in speeches by, by world leaders, people like Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr. But we don't have to look at just these world leaders to consider how the world has been changed by words. I mean, we can just think back and consider how have words shaped us, you and me. Because words have shaped us. They have made us into who we are. We've been shaped, not by just our world leaders, but our parents, our grandparents, our teachers, our coaches, people from church, our friends, all the important people in our orbit that speak words into us, shapes us, and affects our actions that change everything around us. They say actions speak louder than words, right? But it's the words and our thoughts that determine how we act. Our words shape our thoughts. Our thoughts shape our beliefs. Our beliefs lead us to our actions. And that's how we impact the world around us. Think for a minute about people in your life when you were growing up? Who were the people of influence to you? Maybe aside from parents, because for better or worse, we know that parents have the most impact on our development and what they say to us. But other than parents, was it a teacher? Was it a coach? Was it somebody from church? Was it a, another relative, a grandparent? Who was it in your life that spoke words to you that made you who you are. And if you think fondly about them, 
as you remember them, my guess is that it's because they spoke life into you. They saw you for who you were and who you could be. And they loved you and they accepted you. And they spoke words of hope and possibility. And saw what you could become as a person. Because they used words that built you up. Sadly, some of us have had people in our lives who haven't been so warm and kind and building up for us. And we become resistant to receiving these words of encouragement and these words of love because we were conditioned early on to think that we're not that lovable. Words were used to keep us in our place, tear us down, insult us. They were cutting and hurtful instead of healing and lifting. We refuse now to accept people's attempts at trying to love us. Because in so many words, we were told, you're not lovable. And if that was your experience, I am sorry. Don't think that words don't have impact because they do. And don't think that you don't have impact because you do, because you use words. And it's your words that are going to have eternal consequences more than you can imagine. James says that in in, in James 3 verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Did you catch that? Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. All right, hands. How many perfect people we got? One. Okay. <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would challenge that one, but I think, uh, I don't think we're, any of us are perfect. Uh, because none of us are perfect in what we say. Because we are imperfect people. We were created imperfectly. But put, put us aside and our own imperfection aside and just look at the, the, the stuff we have to work with. I mean, language itself is imperfect. How many letters do we have in the English alphabet? 26. Think about that. 26 letters in the English alphabet that we put together to put into words and words into sentences and sentences into paragraphs. And we use these 26 letters to try to explain the meaning of everything. We use these 26 letters to, get, to, to name things, to categorize things, uh, to, to create logic in our minds, to make sense of the world. And we use it to, to label and categorize people as well. As if, you know, you ask somebody, you want to, you meet a new person and you want to get to know them, and one of the first things you ask them is what? What do you do? As if hearing the word accountant or teacher or retired is going to give you a sense of who they really are. Just scratches the surface. It tells you what they do. But we, we count on these words. To make sense of things. 
but they're limited in what they can describe. And not only are they limited in what they can describe, but we often use words to mean things that are totally different than the words themselves actually mean. For instance, I might say it took me literally forever to get that point across. You might not argue with me. But would you call me a liar? No. Didn't literally. We use literally a lot, don't we? All the, you know, forever. Or we say things like, man, it was two hours since breakfast and I'm starving. Star Starving? You ate two hours ago and you're starving? We do this all the time. See what I just did? All the time? It's just how we use this imperfect language that we have to work with. And, and, and sometimes we use the same words to mean different things. When my wife and I were first married, you know, in those early days, some days we would just say, I can't believe we're married. And other days it was like, I can't believe we're married. <laughs> same words. Same words. Sometimes our timing is off. If your loved one asks you the question, do you love me? And you pause just a little too long. Not good. Not good. You see, language and words are a tricky thing and, and something to be handled with care. Put on top of that an untamable tongue and we have a recipe for complications, to say the least. James tells us that the tongue is like a wild animal that can't be tamed. In 3, 3-8, through eight, he says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. This part of our body called the tongue, which is connected to the mouth, you know, it helps us a lot in the, in the function of eating and getting the calories we need in. But, you know, another function of the tongue, its nature is as it's connected to our brain or our mind, is to release the contents of our mind out to the world. If you want to know what somebody's thinking, ask them. They might tell you. If you don't want somebody to know what you're thinking, don't speak. Don't say a thing. Military has a phrase, loose lips sink ships. Because it is the nature of our tongue to want to share the information in our mind. 
can't tame our tongue in that way. We can't change its nature. But what we can do is we can train our brain. We can condition our mind by focusing on the things of God that are good and right so that when our tongue does do its job and, 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 and leaks the information from our mind, it's at least leaking the right kind of information. That's why the, the prayer that is Psalm 19.14 seeks help from God, not just in the words that we use, but in the meditations of our hearts or our thoughts. And I want to offer that prayer to you right now. I want, us, I want us to say this together, and I want us to take it into the week. And every day, I'd like you to, to, to bring this prayer to, to, to your, your prayer life first thing when you wake up and throughout the day so that you might reflect on what God's will is for what you're going to say and, and what you're going to think. So let's say this together. Join me. Ready? Let the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. We're not going to change the nature of our tongue. But we can choose our words wisely. And we need to because our words shape our internal reality. If you're an adult, by now you, you most likely either experienced or know somebody who has experienced uh, pain so deep by what somebody told them or told you when you were a child, someone you loved and trusted and who should have been speaking life into you and building you up, but instead they tore you down and they, they cut so deep that 20, 30 years later you're in therapy trying to work out this pain. We use words to determine what, what we think of ourselves, what we think of others, and what we think others think of us, you know, those stories in our heads. And what we think of ourselves is often determined by what we're told growing up. And I pray you didn't hear these things as a child, but many people, many people have heard things like this said by a parent. And if you're a parent, please don't say them ever to your child. You were a mistake, or you were an accident. I wish I'd never had you. I gave up my dreams to raise you. Or you'll never, or you can't do that. You're not smart enough to do that. You're not good enough to do that. You know, kids have a way of learning their own limitations in time. They don't need us to tell them what they can't do. Or maybe it was name-calling. And you've grown up, and you know that these things that were said to you, if they were said to you, were much less about you than it was about the brokenness and insecurities of the one saying these things to you. But it was said, and it got in your head, and it took root. And so now this is what you've accepted and believe about yourself and who you are. And maybe you find yourself saying similar things to your kids or your wife or your husband. 
Maybe your head is filled with dark and negative thoughts toward other people because you were told that those things are about other people. Because what you've been told about yourself is often the way you're conditioned to think about others. And what you assume others are thinking about you, you're often projecting on them because that's what you would think if you were them. You know, a great way to bond with others is to have a common enemy. You think back to times of national crisis like 9-11. Remember that well. I mean, we were for a moment the United States of America, weren't we? Because when an external threat comes, we band together because that's who we are. Because we could identify the, the enemy. But it happens in a much more local way in, in, our, in, our, in our community, in our homes, in our families. And, and we feel the need so much sometimes to, to know who is the enemy. And even in the church, you know, we, we teach a class called Pathfinders every month, second Sunday of each month. In fact, the next one's going to be happening at 11 o'clock today in the sanctuary. And invariably, people were curious to know, you know, what does your church believe? Who, what do you stand for? And, and all of that. And, and those are great conversations to have. Uh, but sometimes the questions are more uh, about worldly division than it is about theological understanding about things or, or scriptural teaching. And, and people want to know, you know, well, what political party are you aligned with? Is it this party or is it that party? Do you stand here on this issue or there on that issue? And, and, and things of the world are very important. And they, they, they might think that the church is a megaphone for something that's going on in, in, in the world. And there's an old saying about Christians that we are in the world but not of the world. And sometimes people have a hard time receiving the, the, the statement that, you know, we're, we're here to love all people. All people. And it might be received as a cop-out or, or, or just a, 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 a cliche, yeah, but it's not. It's not. You know, all the things that are happening in the world and all the, the people that are encamped and labeled on different sides of this or that, we see the church as this oasis of sorts where people can come together who are different to learn about Jesus and God and what it means to be a Christ follower and how Jesus can work in your life to break the destructive cycles in your families that have been going from generation to generation to generation. And we do this by teaching our opponents are not our enemies. And that you are a child of God, created in God's image. And that people are children of God, created in God's image. So that we might teach our children and the next generations that very truth, that this child, you, my child, are loved and valued by God. What would the world be like if not just every child knew, 
but every person knew that they were loved and valued by God. Imagine. And here we teach that. And, and, and so we view others as children of God. And when we try to place a word, a label, uh, that, that categorizes and puts a person, oh, well, they're this or they're that, we're devaluing their individual personhood and just lumping them in a group that either agrees or disagrees with what I think. And that's not of God. And all of this is because of the words that have shaped our internal reality. And once they have shaped our internal reality, we have to be aware that words shape our external reality, don't they? With our words, we land a job. We create intimacy. We build friendships. We create community. And with our words, we lose a job. We destroy intimacy. We ruin friendships. And we break up community. These external realities all hinge upon how we use our words. I mean, think about it. We build nations with words. We celebrated the 4th of July last week. And what were we celebrating? The signing of the Declaration of Independence, where our country declared that we are a nation unto ourselves. What is a declaration? It's saying words, right? And this document that was signed was the Declaration of Independence, a document of words. Our government leaders swear to defend the Constitution of the United States, a document of words. We pledge allegiance with words. We get married by saying, I do. Two words, three letters, three letters. That's huge. The power of the words to create our external reality. Every legal entity that exists, every business, every company does so because the words say so. Every agreement, every contract is because of the words. Most importantly, the words we use will affect the quality of the relationships that we have with the people in our lives. You think about the power that these words have to create our external reality. What does that lead to? The question is, what do you want your reality to be? What do you want your life to be, the external reality? Start with the words and write them, say them. Create the internal reality of them first. And then step into them with action and make it your external reality. That power is available to all of us. And while we understand the, the power of these words to shape internal realities, external realities, we also have to recognize that our words will start chain reactions. No telling how many fights have been started uh, and have been had due to a misplaced word or phrase? How many misunderstandings have led to couples not talking to each other for days? 
misplaced words causing families to drift apart from one another. And I wonder how many wars throughout history have been uh, occurred because of the, the, the loss of translation and a misunderstanding of words. Have you ever said anything where, you know, the, the, the minute you, you say it, and maybe even before you've said it, you say, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. How do I say this right? How to blah! Oh, I didn't mean for it to sound like that. Or you're emotional and you're mad and you're not even thinking. You just blah, blah, blah. And you go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. But you did. You did, and it's too late, and it caused the, heart, the, the hurt, and you can't unsay it. You can't take it back, even if you say, oh, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. You said it. And a chain reaction occurs from there. Sometimes, you know, it's not even something hurtful. We just didn't, didn't know our audience and, and parents and grandparents. This is so important as we talk to our kids because their minds are still developing and they're not, they're, they're not fully grown like we are and they don't have the, the capacity to understand the nuance of language that we often use. And one of my, my challenges is, is taking time to know the people I'm talking about. Young or old, I, I, I just... I have this way of talking. I love humor. I love to joke. I love to play with language and, and, and interject. And I read this book years ago on communication that, that said if you want somebody to, to be with you in a conversation, interject a word or a phrase so that cues them to know that, they're, that you're with them and that you understand them. But every time I try it, people get mad because I'm interrupting them. You know? And, and my use of humor it confuses people sometimes. And I'll go, wait, wait, are you? Are you joking right now? Because I, I, I haven't done the work I need to to, to meet them where they are in, in their way of communicating. And my kids taught me this years ago when they were growing up. Uh, when they were preschoolers, we had this uh, uh, ritual of, you know, daddy-daughter breakfast, father-son breakfast, and we'd usually go to a place that had kids' meals, and it was light and fun, and, and it became an important time for all of us, and I wouldn't take them together. It would be one-on-one, -on -one and, and we would alternate, and it was just a, a really rich, important time for, for us. And uh, now this is when our kids were really young, and my kids are grown now, 23 and 28, um, my daughter was always a fan of breakfast. This is what she looked like at about the age that I'm talking about. She was uh, a youngster, and, and we would go on these uh, daddy-daughter breakfasts. And one week, she thought that she would initiate the breakfast. And she said, Daddy, can we go to Abe's Cafe? We were in Tulsa. Uh, Abe's Cafe for breakfast this Friday? And I said, Great idea, Lauren. Let's do that. Let's, let's, let's have our daddy-daughter breakfast. So day comes. We go to Abe's. We're sitting at the table and waiting for her smiley face pancake that she liked. And, and I'm just having that moment of gratitude, you know, just feeling, oh, so full and, and thankful and grateful for what God has, has done and, and giving us and our family. And I turn to her and I said, Lauren, I thank God for this time with you. And for this food and, and, and this whole thing, I just, I'm so grateful to God for, for all of it. I want you to know that. And she got this look on her face. Her face got long and she said, 
but it was my idea. It's like, oh, I don't think she got the spirit of what I was trying to say there. But then I realized, wait a minute, I missed the spirit of what was happening. You see, in her mind, in her experience, we were there because she said the words that set into motion that chain reaction that led to us being at the table waiting for her happy face pancake. And she was giving this as a gift to me, to us. And what I should have said if I were in tune with where her mind was, was, thank you, Lauren. Thank you for this. But I didn't know my audience, or I didn't take time to understand where she was coming from. I know these words seem so benign, but they can have such impact. My son, I'll tell you one about my son too, and he's 28 now, but this is him at this age of this story. Um, my wife and I were uh, at the kitchen table, and we were, we were, she says having a fight, but in the 32 years of marriage, we have never had a fight, Okay. I'm joking. We've disagreed. We've had intense, you know, discussions. But Spence, who's telling the story, right? Words are tricky. We were intensely involved in this, in this conversation. We were working out numbers. We were trying to work out a, a fence replacement with a neighbor or something. I can't remember, but, but it, was, it was budget stuff. And we're trying, okay, we could do this, we could do that. And, and happy little Garrett... Downs on up, hey, you know, he wants to be part of it and talk to us and all that. And this was just not the time. It was not the time for this sweet little boy to come into this grown-up conversation. And so recognizing that Garrett was young and, and, and didn't know, he wasn't doing anything wrong, I did my best with a smile and a wink. And I turned to him and I said, hey, scram kid, grown-ups are talking right now. We'll, we'll, we'll connect in a little bit, okay? Didn't think a thing of it. Turned around, went to his room. We continued with the important conversation we were having. 20, 30 minutes later, we're, we're done. Let's get it up to Let's go check on him. And we're going by and I see by the door, the front door, there's a pile of his stuff. And... Uh, and I went, huh, what's going on here? And I looked, and uh, there was no food or water, but, you know, he had some of his favorite toys. He had his teddy bear he called Joe, and he had his most prized possession, a framed picture of him with mom and dad, the three of us. And I looked at it, I said, what's going on, bud? And he said, I'm looking for a stick. And I was talking to him recently about this. I said, what was the stick? He said, yeah, I used to watch cartoons, and I'd see the stick with the little knapsack. They'd put their stuff in, and they'd walk around. He was looking for a stick. I said, well, what are you doing? He goes, well, and he's crying. He said, well, you said scram. So I guess I'm leaving now. <laughs> little four-year-old Garrett going out into the great unknown. 
No water, no food, but he's got his toys. And, uh, and I think we started crying because, oh, that one little word, that one little word, scram. And I thought I was saying it in a way that he would receive it. But that one little syllable, one syllable little word created in him an internal reality. Scram equals, my parents don't want me here anymore. And the external reality of going to his room and packing his things and looking for a stick to go out. It set off this chain reaction. I said, scram. He goes to his room. He packs his things. He's ready to say goodbye and leave. So much of what we say that we just assume is neutral language with no impact has more than we think. And finally, with our words, we have to understand that we are either blessing or we are cursing. James 3, 9 to 12 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. And we've talked about the damage that our words can do. But they're just as powerful as blessings. When a child knows that you believe in them, they begin to believe in themselves. And you set them up for great success. When a child grows up feeling loved and valued, they will begin to love and value themselves and be able to love and value others. And we want them to have that capacity to love. And when you give genuine positive feedback, and I'm not talking about the the feedback like, oh, you're the greatest at everything that ever was. I'm talking about Praise for effort, for learning from their failures, for not giving up. When you do these things and you say, give them encouragement along the way, you're giving the child the gift of grit. And if we recognize this, we can become better at doing this work that God is calling us to. If we realize that our words do bless or they do curse, we can learn to think before we speak and consider what we're going to say. And as you're thinking about what you should say in a certain situation, here's a little checklist for you. Uh, Some things to ask yourself before letting the words out. One, will these words encourage? Are they gonna discourage? Are they gonna build up or will they tear down? Are they honest or are they part of some deceit? Will they fill a void of emptiness? Are they gonna create more emptiness? Do they communicate the best interests of the person to whom I am speaking? So often, we're so in a hurry to to get the words out and to share something we want to to tell someone for our benefit, and we forget to ask the question, what will benefit them? And are these words acceptable to God because they align with God's ultimate command to love? 
if they don't cast them out of your internal reality so that they don't get the power to create an external reality and create a chain reaction that's going to change the, the trajectory of your family forever. You know, James implies that when we curse others, we curse God. And so he's strong on his instruction for us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Our job is not to tear ourselves or others down with words, but to build others up. And to do so means commitment on our part to change the way we think and change the way we speak. And each of you hearing my voice in the space or wherever you are, if you can hear my voice right now, I want you to know that you are valued and you are loved by God because you are a child of God created in his image. If you have built this callus around your heart and you're closed to receiving that as a truth for you, I pray that you might just open that, that God might melt your heart. That you might be open to the possibility that yes, you are lovable. And that your past can be your past and you can create a new reality beginning with just your words of your intent. Once you accept that you are valued and you are loved and you are a child of God, I mean, we all sang it before in worship today. We were one voice singing that. But when you believe that, when you believe that, you have a lens with which to look at others in the same way. And they might not even believe in God, but they are experiencing the love of God through you. And that might bring them closer to changing the trajectory of theirs and their family's life forever. This is our work, to build others up, because this is the will of God. And may God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, remember, let's get to work this week. Begin it today. The work of changing your mind so that your mind changes your words and your relationships might flourish. We're gonna say our prayer one more time together and then we're gonna go. But, but memorize this prayer, this psalm. Let's say it one more time together, ready? God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer, amen. Go in peace, friends, have a great week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.